0: I love cricket I've done so since I was a little boy now I know that it's not the most fast-paced of games and it has loads of complicated rules and weird fielding positions but I still love it And I love it because of my dad. You see, from a very young boy, my dad would play cricket with me in the farmyard between the calves on one side and the tractor shed on the other. And we used to have a couple of tin cans as wickets uh, and a composition ball and an old bat. And we would play for hours, batting and bowling and then searching for lost balls. And as I grew up, we used to get all of the farm workers playing cricket at lunchtime too, whether they wanted to or not. And my dad, well, my dad was very wise because he chose a sport that we could still play together uh, as I went through my teens and into adult life. And we set up a cricket net in the back garden. We organised Fenning cricket team to play matches against other teams. And for my dad's 80th birthday, we took him on a tour of the Lord's Cricket Ground in St John's Wood, London. And so he got to see the Ashes Urn, the World Cup, go into the pavilion and the media centre, the changing rooms and hear stories of cricketers past and present. It was such a good day. Now, I love spending time with my dad. We're we're really close, you know. He's always made time for me, he's helped me, he's loved me, he's played and watched cricket with me. And he's shaped who I am and how I view the world and even how I relate to others. And what he's done is that he's given me a stability in life and a knowledge that I'm loved regardless of anything. Because dads can do that, can't they? But I discovered fairly early on in life that not everyone's experience of a dad was the same. You know, some people's dads were either distant or absent, some dads were preoccupied by other things, and some were only ever seen at weekends. In fact, one of my friend's dads didn't ever show interest in him. You know, at 10 years of age, Dave would write notes to his dad saying, do you love me? With a yes and a no tip box next to it. And he'd push it under his dad's bedroom door, but it never came back with yes ticked. And so Dave has gone through life with this default setting uh, that, that he's unlovable. That if he rang me and asked if I wanted to go for a beer with him and I said that I couldn't, no matter, for whatever reason, he always believed that it was because I didn't really like him. You see, that was the internal voice in his head. And his relationship with his dad affected his friendships, his marriage, his work. And, And here's the thing. How we view our dad, or even the term father, shapes so much of our view on life, on relationships, and even on who God is.
1: My life bef- my life without Jesus, I wasn't born in a Christian family, so I was brought up hard, I was brought up tough, I, I went through a lot of neglection, went through a lot of abuse. Uh, life was Messy. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of abuse that went on through my father, and then obviously he was an alcoholic, and his life—he was, I wouldn't say what—he spent most of his life in and out of prison, and it was very violent. And my mum wasn't the greatest mum at the time. Um, I went through a lot of sexual abuse for another relative in my family. So from a very young age, it was. It was very abusive. I got to the age of about six, seven, social services were involved. From then on I was under social services, in and out of foster care and that was just really my younger childhood. So yeah, that was, it was really hard. I was very scared when I was younger because all the stuff that happened to me and I was around. Um, I projected that into anger and because of that I got myself into trouble from a young age. And then, yeah, that went on into my teenage years. I, I didn't know my father wasn't my father until I was 13. I found out, um, I was. I remember moving in with my dad, who was called my dad. I was with my auntie and my auntie said, um, basically, Tony, your father's not your real father. And then I found out not so long after that, that my real father was the person that raped my mother. So that really hurt me. I mean, that hurt me more than all the abuse I went through. Because of that, and also because of the situation of one of my friends who overdosed on heroin, that turned my life sideways. So yeah, that was was quite painful. From the age of 13 to 22, my life was just out of control. Lots of stuff going on. Lots of stuff I did wrong, you know, uh, you can't, I can't blame people for some of the things I did wrong because I've done a lot of bad things in my life. But then yeah, from that, I moved away, moved to Norwich, moved to Ipswich, met a girl, had a kid, I brought another kid on, took another kid on, which is Charlie, my son. And then break down the relationship, found myself in um, Needham. And I was at my lowest point because I literally, a lot of stuff happened in the relationship which wasn't nice so that really hurt me because i found out stuff and also one of my friends killed herself so that really took on took a toll on me also i i lost that um, connection with one of my other sons archie lee and then yeah it just everything just happened in one split of a few weeks you know and then i found myself in needham And the only thing I had really was my job. I tried quitting that, but my boss wouldn't let me quit. And then she basically got me a flat in Needham. If you want to call it a flat, it was more of a squat. If I'm honest, I had a breakdown. Tried killing myself, that didn't work. (laughs) So I just thought at the time I just, I thought I'd just drink myself to death, if I'm honest. And then I didn't eat, I was just a mess. And then, And Alan, who we all know, who's at the Forge, he told me about Alpha. Even though I I didn't want to be around anymore, I still had Stanley in my life. And so I had that little bit of hope. Went to Alpha, realised it was to do with Christianity. And that's how I ended up at Alpha.
2: So there's this little girl drawing a picture in class one day. And the teacher asks her, what are you drawing? She says, I'm drawing God. The teacher says, nobody knows what God looks like. The girl replies, well, they will do when I finish this picture. If God exists, what's he like? If God is real, what is he really like? You know, most people, even if they don't say that they believe or have faith, they'll have some form of picture in their minds of God or how they imagine God to be. Maybe they imagine or picture the cosmic policeman he was there to keep us on track, to obey the rules, and to stop us having fun. Or maybe the picture they have in their mind is the grumpy headmaster. And if you ever end up in his or her office, you know it's not good news. You're not getting the A and you are getting those three words, could do better. Or maybe it's the lovely old granddad, sweet but ineffective. In fact, I've become a granddad this in these last few months. Hopefully not sweet and ineffective, but that's the picture many people have of God. Or maybe the mystic picture, the ethereal presence, magical but not real or tangible like Gandalf or Yoda. You know, many people say to me, I don't believe in God. And when I push them a little bit, I say, what do you imagine or picture God to be like if there was a God? And they, they describe this picture of God and I say, well, I don't believe in that God either. You see, when it comes to what God is really like, the Bible gives us lots about the person of God The Bible says that God is spirit, not flesh and blood. That he's personal, not an energy force like Star Wars. You know, the force is with you. He's also living. He's not a dead totem. And he's infinite. You know, there's space and there's time and knowledge and power. You know, and, and in terms of his person, he's also constant, not in a state of flux like you and I are. You know I think it's not the person of God that we have the question with at all, it's actually the nature of God. That's the real question. What is God really like? If there is a God, what is He like really? And if we were truthful, there are some big issues for us to grapple with before we can even consider taking this step of faith. One is the presence of evil. You know, a couple of years ago, I had the chance to go to uh, Cambodia and Vietnam on a trip. I was speaking in churches, etc. And and I got to go to the killing fields in Cambodia where in the 70s, millions of people were killed. And then in the the tunnels in Vietnam, uh, where in the Vietnam War, such horrendous things happened. And people did horrendous things to each other. And it made me ask the question again, how could God, if he's real, tolerate such evil? Here's the thing. If God is willing to prevent evil but not able... That makes him impotent. If God is able to prevent evil but not willing, that makes him malevolent. And if he's willing and able, why doesn't he? Is that what he's really like? But here's the thing. Does the existence of evil prove God doesn't exist? Or worse, he does exist and he's actually horrible. Let's take God out of the story for a moment. That's what they did in Cambodia. That's what they did in Vietnam. That's what other countries have done over history. The evil and the suffering and the pain still exists. And in fact, in some context where God has been taken out, it exists even more. And here's the other thing. What about under evolutionary thought, progression? If you take God out under the theory of evolution, evolutionary progression, we should have eradicated evil by now, but we haven't. Maybe the presence of evil and the presence of God are not mutually exclusive. You see, I believe the truth is this, God is a lovesick Father and love can only be loved through free will and choice. But not only the presence of evil, but number two, the reality of pain and suffering. And this is the fact we sense deep within us that things are wrong and it points to the existence, I think, not the absence of God. I mean, where do we get the idea that human beings are important? Where do we get the idea that human life is to be valued and protected and cared for? You know, this is the way things are supposed to be and we get that idea deep down because that's who God has created us to be. C.S. Lewis, who wrote much incredible literature, many of you will know, Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe. He said this, When I was an atheist, my argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. But how had I got the idea of just and unjust? What was I comparing the universe with when I called it unjust? Of course, I could have just given up my ideas of justice by saying that it was soothing, but a private idea of my own. But if I did that, then my argument against God collapsed too. For the argument depended on saying that the world was really unjust, not just simply that it did not happen to please my fancies. C.S. Lewis looked at the evidence and he looked at the world and he came to that conclusion. And I think the third thing we have to grapple with is the Bible. Is it true? Are there contradictions? What about some of the crazy stories in the Old Testament? But you know, our fundamental question here, if this is true, what does it reveal about what God is really like? You see, the bigger issue for most of us, I think, is not the presence of evil or suffering or pain or injustice in the world out there. I think it's closer to home. It's in our own lives. God, if you exist, God, if you're good, God, if you are this lovesick father, why did this happen to me? Why is this happening to me right now? And there's a story that I want to tell you briefly that Jesus tells in the Bible, and it shows what God is like, really. And this story is about a father who has two sons, and he loved them both, but the kids, they were very different. If you've got more than one kid, you know that's true. The one was a good boy, dutiful, did what the father wanted and expected. The other, not so much. In fact, one day this other kid, the younger one, asks for the inheritance that's due to him when the father dies. Imagine that. It's as if he's saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. The father was broken hearted but gave him the money and let him go because that's what love does. Free will and choice. The son wastes the money, ends up in a mess and eventually comes to his senses and senses there must be something more and so he heads home. Now the culture of the day was such that the father is going to react in a certain way. You see the son brought disgrace not only to the father and the family but to the wider community. And there was a practice in this culture called kazaza which literally was this, that the whole community would come together around this person who's brought disgrace and they would smash pots in front of the uh, uh, of this young lad and the father every day was watching for the son to return and maybe he saw some of the villagers gathering around him with the pots I don't know that but he expects them to smash the pots which says that you are now cut off from the whole community but what the father does is this firstly he runs the returning man meets the running man that's powerful because powerful men don't run in this culture He embraces. In other words, he says, it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. This is love of another kind. He expresses emotion. He cries and he kisses his son. This is what God is really like. And then he welcomes the son home and then he celebrates because this son who broke his heart has come home. Philip Yancey is a writer who tells a story in one of his books about a pastor friend of his whose teenage daughter broke his heart by the way she lived her life and the choices she made. He had to let her go. But the pastor says, Then one day she returned. And I wanted nothing in the world so much as to take her in my arms, to love her, to tell her I wanted the best for her. I was a helpless, love-sick father. That's what God is like. God is not helpless, but this image of a lovesick father is who he is really like. You know, if you've not had a great experience of an earthly father or earthly parents, that makes this concept hard. But you know, here's the thing. I have had a great experience of earthly parents, but here's the truth. A writer called Brennan Manning once wrote some incredible words about this, and he said this. If we take all the goodness wisdom and compassion of the best mothers and fathers who have ever lived. They would only be a faint shadow of the love and mercy in the heart of the redeeming God. So what's God like really? He's a lovesick father waiting for us to return home and running towards us the moment we incline ourselves towards him. You know, if that wasn't enough, to get the message across, he went even further. He came as Jesus so that we could not only hear what God's really like, but we could see what God's really like. But that's the next session. Curious? I hope you are.
1: What is Alpha? Alpha. If you take it serious, it's probably one of the biggest challenges you have in your life. My first experience of Alpha, (laughs) I hated it. Absolutely hated it. I found it a bit cringy, but I went back and I'm so glad I did go back. But I realised even I didn't totally agree with what was said. It was the love you got from these people who follow Jesus. When I finished that led to um, me going to church for the first time. I started realising a lot of stuff through the Alpha course, like not so much what happened to me, but the way I was living my life. I opened up a lot of stuff that I never spoke about. And also the biggest problem was my alcohol. I'd, I was, I was an alcoholic. So, with these good Christian people around me, it opened doors to make me realise that I needed help. For that, I ended up going to Teen Challenge. Teen Challenge is a Christian rehab. It's a rehab for four weeks, and then after that, it's not a rehab. It is a mixture of all the things that you probably don't want to do. <laughs> no, it's a place of love. It's a place of love. It's hard work. It is very um, regimented. It could be like like prison, like boot camp, like Bible college. Um, it's a mixture of everything in one. But it's a place of love. I went to um, Alpha on, in April and it, it was the following one year later and truly until I truly accept Jesus in my life. And that's transformed my life completely. In Teen Challenge, we've done different courses, we've done different teachings, and one of the teachings was love and accepting yourself. Now, I've struggled with that. Like, how can you love and accept yourself when you look like the person who raped your mother? And that's something I struggled with. I talked about it with my counsellor. And I was doing the teaching and I thought to myself, well, I've got to find out who my father is. So I tracked my records down, went for the social services, And we tracked them down um, and they came to Team Challenge. And I was advised by the counsellor not to do it because it could, you know, stir things up for me. But I I, I thought, I've got to do this. I've got to do this. How can you love accept yourself when you don't know where you're actually from? I don't know what it was. I didn't, I I was doing stuff with my counsellor and It came to a point where I had to give it all over to God, all the bad things that have happened to me and all the bad things I've done. And then I was in the chapel again. I was in this chapel and I was in a grotty mood. I was in a real grotty mood that day. And yeah, I went to the front and I just put my hands out and I was just baptised in the Holy Spirit. And I was just like, and then I was speaking this language I don't understand. And then I woke up, but I could hear father like I love you son you know I'll give you this gift but you got to give something back to me it's like when you're crying when you picture yourself like with a baby and you're crying and your father just hugs you and that's what it was like and it was like wow and that's the love of a father you're coming out of the old in with the new coming into a new life you can't hold, hold on to that old life. And 18 years of my life was in this little package, including my father's name. If I hold on to what was in that folder, I would be holding on to all that past stuff. So yeah, I, I went to the forge and I ripped it up on the stage, everything. And then made that sacrifice. And where's life now? What, what's life like with Jesus? It's the answer to that question is, what was life without Jesus? It's pointless, you know. Life, life is good. It's flipping hard being a Christian, following Jesus. You can't. You you got to express that to people. It's not easy being a Christian. It's the best thing I've ever done. I love it. Route to Freedom is a. Um, it's a charity that was set up when I first came back. So I came back. I had I was baptized and I had this vision and I knew I had. God was telling me what to do, what He wanted me to do. So I ran around, as you know. Uh, God allowed me; I didn't do it. God allowed me to bring five churches together, and we work together. And basically, we work with people. Are uh, mostly in addiction. Some are homeless. We just try and help them. We try and love them and support them and help them, and just do whatever we can for them. I love being a father. So it's hard work again, but yeah, it's good and. Life's changed completely from, I, on the 5th of December in 2017, I was on my way to Teen Challenge and literally three years later, I'm in a church getting married with another Christian. So, you know, that's amazing with a family and God's good. God's pretty, it's pretty awesome, isn't he?
0: Be honest, when you hear the term God, what's the image that comes into your mind? Is it an apathetic old man on a cloud or an angry, judgmental God ready to point out when you make a mistake? Or maybe an absent, irrelevant God who just lets you get on with life and who doesn't really care. You know, if you struggle to believe in God because of any of those images, then so do I. Because that's not the God that I believe in either. The image or picture that Jesus spoke about, that I've come to experience, is of God being a father. A God who longs for a relationship with us, who loves us, who has time for us, who shapes who we are for the better. Now, I don't know what kind of relationship you've had with your earthly dad. I know my dad is great, but I know he is also not perfect. But whatever that relationship is, every one of us longs to have the love, the affirmation, the acceptance, the approval, the involvement of our fathers, our dads in our lives. And I believe that God is our heavenly father. And as Louis Giglio puts it, God is not simply a bigger version of our earthly dads. He's the perfect version of our earthly dads. And he's inviting us to walk in freedom as loved sons and daughters. So if you were to discover that you're chosen, loved, prized, wanted, and believed in by a perfect Father, isn't that worth being curious about? Isn't it worth finding out more? And maybe as you do, your understanding, your picture of God, your experience of Him will change as you discover Him to be your Heavenly Father too. And what would a relationship with God look like if your perception is that he wants to pull you closer rather than put you in your place?